0: If we're to preach the gospel, what is the gospel? It'll be a review for many of us, for some perhaps, uh, for the first time, maybe you'll really be able to focus in on what the gospel is. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And um, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Please stand, if you would, for the reading of the scripture. While you're standing, uh, let me just kind of. Put this in a context, this epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. Um, Especially, you're especially familiar with the previous chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, where Paul addresses uh, issues in the church, the abuse of spiritual gifts, Uh, he addresses the need for clarity. You know, in First Corinthians chapter 14, if you have your Bible there in 15, just look across the page or the preceding page maybe. In chapter 14 and verse 7, he says, Even things without life-giving sound, things that are like an instrument, they don't have life-giving, but they're, they make sounds. Whether pipe or harp, uh, like we heard the musical instruments tonight. Except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? If there's no sound, no clarity, how do you know? Verse 8, then he talks about a horn instrument. If the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? You know, in the Old Testament there, they would use the trumpet to signal various messages to the soldiers, those who are in battle. And in verse 9, he says, so likewise you. Just like a trumpet needs to make a certain sound, you. Now he personalizes it. ...to the individual members of the church, except you utter by the tongue words easy to be understood. How shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but I, just, I say again, the, the importance of being understood... ...the larger importance resides with the person doing the speaking. You need to speak so that you can be understood. You may need to slow down, you may need to enunciate your words... But so he says, "If they can't understand you when you're singing for, when you're singing, you know if you're singing and they can't hear you and understand you, how are you gonna, how are you going to know what's going on, how are you know what to say. Same thing with preaching. So that's the context, and then in verse one of chapter 15, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received and wherein you stand." It, and so it seems to me that this theme of, of clarity, making a certain sound, will, carries over into this theme, chapter 15 and verse 1. I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you've received and wherein you stand, by which also you're saved. This gospel brings salvation. for which also, By which also you're saved, if you keep in memory... What I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. We'll talk about what that phrase means. For I deliver unto you first of all that which also I received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once of whom the greater part remain under this present, but some are fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So we're going to talk tonight about the gospel. Let's uh, let's have prayer together, all right? Father, we pray tonight for your help as we study. We pray you'd help us be attentive. And Father, we we can understand why the devil would want us to be distracted and confused tonight about uh, what you're saying, what you want us to learn, so we pray that you'd help us to be clear, help us to be learners, Lord help us to be disciples, and help us to take our responsibility seriously to learn and to declare truth, and we, we pray all these things for your honor and glory in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. So, what is the gospel message? You know, uh, in verse one, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. He, this is the message that Paul preached. Now, this is not the only message he preached. I mean, he preached other things, but the gospel here, he's talking about the life changing message of the gospel. You, know, when Paul said, uh, I, dec- you know, that I, In the same book, in the earlier part of this book, that I determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's not the only thing he talked about, but concerning the gospel. And by the way, he was writing this to people. He visited them the first time, and he's writing this epistle to them. He had visited them prior to this, and in visiting them, he said, I determined to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He wanted to make sure the gospel was clear unto them. Now, the word gospel means good news. The gospel is good news, but the word gospel itself, the good news, what is that good news? What is that message that's included in the gospel, the good news? And Paul clearly lays it out here in chapter 15. Now, we need to know this because if we're to share the gospel, you need to know what the gospel is. It's good to invite people to church, but that's not sharing the gospel. You know, it's good to tell people what Christ has done for you. That's very important. Give your testimony. But that in itself is not the gospel. What is the gospel? What is the gospel that changes a person's life? And we see this in verse 3, for he says, For I delivered unto you first of all, I delivered to you first of all, which I also received. Paul said, I gave you what God gave me. And this is the gospel how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now there's the first and and really a most important element of the Gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And and just that word Christ is important, although we don't usually need to emphasize that to our Gentile uh, friends who usually make up the folks we're witnessing to. But to a Jew, the word Christ is very relevant. Christ is the Messiah, the promised one. Christ, Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Christ. He's the promised Messiah and Savior. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Again, you know, Jesus' death on the cross was, was prophesied, was declared, was explained, was predicted for many, many hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. He died, so, the, so one of the most important elements in the gospel is that Christ died for our sins. And that brings us to, the, to really one of the most relevant things we need to know as witnesses. And that is this. People need to know they're sinners. Right? People need to know. They're sinners. They need to be aware of their sin. He died for our sins. Uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. All of us have sinned. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. If you're going to witness to someone. If they were to say to you. you know, What is, it, what is this truth you have? What is this message you have? Give me uh, just a summary. A synopsis of, of what it is that you think is so important. What would you say? And the first thing we want to think about is this, is this is the life-changing message that Christ died for our sins. He died on the cross for our sins. All of us are sinners. All of us have broken God's law. Uh, there's a scripture in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 that says that, that sin is the transgression of the law. If you say, well, What is sin? Sin is breaking God's law. And we're not going to go any further with that tonight, other than just to say, you know, when a person looks in the law, they see, they ought to see, if they look with an honest heart. Anybody that looks in an honest heart at the law cannot say, well, I, just, I think I'm okay, because we're all sinners, right? Amen. We've all broken God's law. So Christ died for our sins. He took our judgment upon himself On the tree. Now, I'm not telling you all this so you can memorize this and tell your neighbor this, but, but we want to know, this is what the gospel is. His death was the sacrifice for our sins. He took our guilt upon his own body on a, on a tree. And this is one of the things that in personal soul winning or evangelism, one of the most important goals to help people see that they're lost and guilty sinners. They're not good people. They're sinners. And they're guilty before God. We're going to, and, and we've done this for those of you who may not have been here the last several weeks. This is the third, I think the third week we've talked about this very important subject of just sharing our faith and, and, and just for some, just a review kind of of, for, other, for all of us, just putting on the front burner the importance of it, that we would uh, ha, we'd be ready to share the gospel as God gives us opportunity. And so we need to know what the gospel is. And in another lesson, maybe next week or the week following, uh, we're going we're gonna to add a lot of, some verses, just to have verses to be familiar with. And some of these verses, every verse that I'm mentioning tonight is a verse that you'd want to be familiar with. And, uh, and and one of them is that scripture in 1 John 3, 4. That sin is a transgression of the law. So what is the gospel, verse 3, of 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3? How that Christ died for our sins... According to the scriptures. And then verse 4. Secondly, and that he was buried. Now, that may seem like something that doesn't need to be said. He was buried. But his, the fact that he was buried, uh, why did they bury him? They buried him because he was dead. And they're, they're skept, a lot of the skeptics, if you've ever read much about people who, especially your atheist agnostics, people who don't want to believe the gospel, people who don't want to, they don't want admit that God exists, they'll say, well, he was just in some kind of a slumber, you know, he was just in this, this state of unconsciousness. No, he was buried because he was dead. And he wasn't just buried and dead for a few hours, he was dead for three days and three nights, right? And that's, that's the reason why when the, when the soldiers came, the Sabbath was approaching, and they, had to, they could not break the Sabbath They had to get these Jesus and those two other men that were crucified off of those crosses before the Sabbath. And so if they were not already dead, they were going to break their legs. Because if you break their... The only thing that keeps you alive on a cross is if you can push up with your legs and you can get some relief to your lungs, you get air in your lungs and extend your life. If they break your legs, you don't have the ability to do that. But they didn't break the legs of Jesus because he was already dead. The gospel is that he died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and they put his dead body in the grave. But verse four says, "And uh, he that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures." That's an, that's the that's the another important feature or aspect, part of the gospel, his resurrection, and he raised according to the Old Testament scriptures. Now again, we're Most of us are not going to have, in a a normal opportunity, any reason to go to the Old Testament to find verses that he might be talking about. But when the Bible says he was raised according to the Scriptures, the only Scriptures they had was the Old Testament. And those Old Testament Scriptures talked about the coming of the Messiah, talked about his death, and talked about his resurrection. And Romans chapter 1 and verse 4 says that his resurrection proved that He is the Son of God. And Jesus predicted this. You know, this was not, this should not have been a surprise. Look at Matthew chapter 16. We'll come right back to 1 Corinthians. Matthew chapter 16, just one of numerous places where Jesus predicted this. He said in verse 21, From that day forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus prophesied that he would be raised on the third day. So back to 1 Corinthians 15, here's the gospel. That he Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And speaking of the resurrection then in verse Uh, Five and following. Notice what it says. Paul writing to this church at Corinth. And after that he was seen of Cephas. Cephas is another name for uh, Simon Peter. And he made himself known to Cephas... ...privately. And then of the twelve... ...after that we're talking about... ...we call this post-resurrection appearances... Appearances of Jesus to people after he raised from the dead. And verse 6, after that he was a scene of above 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one setting saw the resurrected Christ. Wouldn't that have been an amazing thing to see? Amen. Of whom, Paul writes, the greater part remain unto the present. Most of those 500 people, he said, are still alive. They can testify to it. We saw him after he raised from the dead. But some are falling asleep. That, that means, what does that mean? It means they die, they're dead. Doesn't mean they're just sitting in, a, getting sluggish, sitting in church service and get dozed off. It means they're, they're, they're already dead. They fell asleep. 500 people, most of them are still alive. Verse 7 After that, he was seen of James. Why would, why would the Lord give a... After he raised from the dead, why would he give a personal, individual visit with James? And the answer is because James would become the first pastor after Peter. I believe Peter had the reins at first, then James became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. And so it makes sense that the, the first pastor of the church was Jesus. He was the shepherd of the flock. The first pastor would have a private time with the man who would be the lead pastor, the primary pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. Then, after that, of all the apostles, he had all these people who saw him after he raised in verse 8, and last of all, Paul writes, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. He's talking about his appearance to Paul on the road to Damascus where Jesus spoke to him, and he said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's not good for thee to kick against the pricks, but well, what would thou have me to do, Lord, he said to Jesus. So, so after, here Paul says, even I, witnessed had this conversation with the resurrected Christ. He raised from the dead. Now go with me uh, to the book of Acts, and we'll come back here to 1 Corinthians. Go to just to the left a little bit, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, where Luke is recording these tremendous events of uh, the movement of the gospel, the pouring out of the Spirit of God upon the church on the day of Pentecost, all these important things. Acts chapter 1, and... Verse 1, the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up. After that he, through the Holy Ghost, have given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to whom, talking about to the apostles, to those who were with him. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion. The word passion having to do with his crucifixion, his death. Amen. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Infallible means they could not be disproven. They were infallible by many infallible proofs. Now, some many people in this room would know this, but some people in this room may have never thought about this. But Jesus didn't just die on the cross, buried, raised on the third day immediately go back to heaven. He showed himself alive for 40 days. Many people saw him. Individually, people saw him. Small groups of people saw him. 500 people saw him at one time. And for 40 days he showed himself alive. There should be no reason that anybody in the New Testament era in the first century would doubt the resurrection of Jesus. Josephus, who was a historian in that day, wrote, about the fact that Jesus was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem, was buried, and then showed himself alive three days later. We're talking about his resurrection. He's Back to verse 3 of Acts 1. Being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So he, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs for 40 days. Now this is, we're going back to 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, he raised again according to the scriptures. Now, if you are witnessing to a person, a lot of things could come up in the conversation. But if we really feel like it's an opportunity to give them the gospel, we want to keep our focus on the gospel. Not on, are there hypocrites in the church? Not on why there's so many different religions? I mean, you have to answer questions. but But... And, and legitimate questions need to be answered. But the only message that can bring salvation to a person is the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. As a matter of fact, if you were at someone, talking to someone over the phone, or maybe over the internet, you're witnessing to someone, or maybe where you work, or maybe going door to door and you only have an opportunity to get two or three sentences out of your mouth, and you had the ability to say, well, let me, just share, let me just share in a nutshell what the gospel is. I can do it in just a half a minute. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's a powerful message. We hear it all the time. As a matter of fact, when you talk about it, sometimes people just tune you out. Because they've heard it so many times, they're not interested in it anymore. But it's the most important part of the message we have. Amen. They're right. Amen. That Christ died for our sins. And look about, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's back up a few verses from where we were. And notice what he says in verse 1. Let's just read verse 1 and 2 again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you've received. I'm going to declare to you. I'm going to explain it to you right now in simple terms. I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you when I was visiting in Corinth. He's not in Corinth now. He's writing the church at Corinth. But this is the gospel that I preached unto you in Corinth, which also you've received. You received this message. And wherein you stand, verse 2, by which... Also, you're saved. Now, what is it? What is the message that saves a person? It's the gospel, right? Now, Paul wrote to them about a lot of things, and he preached to them about a lot of things. But but don't miss the importance of these words in verse 2, by which also ye are saved. And then notice the the end of verse 2, it says, unless you believed... In vain. But and I'm going to come back to the word in vain, but let's think about the word believed. First part of verse 2: if you, you know, you're all, by this message, by which also you're saved, unless you've believed in vain. You're, so, how's a person saved? They're saved through their belief, they're saved through their faith, and you've believed. And also, the, the, near the end of verse 1, I preached unto you, which also you have received. They believed the message. They received the message. And that's really, that is what a person has to understand in order to be saved. They have to understand the gospel. And again, there's a lot packed into that. As I said earlier, it's one thing to say that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. It's another thing for a person to understand that they have sinned, that they're guilty that they've broken God's law. He didn't. Jesus didn't die for the righteous. Right? He died for sinners. Amen. And so, and, and we receive Him. John chapter 1, He came into His own, but His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. So we we receive the message. We receive Him. And if you, if you witness to very many people, somebody where along the line, somebody's going to say, well, surely there's more to it than that. Well, there's not more to it than that. Amen. We, we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive him as our Savior. So, so, then, so, so just to kind of review, salvation is brought about as the result of believing the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. That he was buried. And that he raised again on the third day according to Scripture. Well now what about this matter of faith then? What is saving faith? If it's believing, what what is saving faith? Saving faith is more than just a mental assent. Mental assent means you just acknowledge something. You know, you believe it's historically true. But that's not saving faith. It's trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for your salvation. It's believing on him. I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. Right? But that's not changing my life. But I'm telling you, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes your life. Because you're not just believing intellectually. Please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Most everyone believes that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Most everyone believes that he lived a sinless life. Not everybody believes that, but most everybody believes that. Most everyone believes that Jesus died on an old rugged cross and raised on the third day. Right? But lots of those people who believe that are not saved. So believing is not just giving mental agreement to something, knowing it intellectually. The word believe here is trusting in it, putting your faith and trust in him, believing on, not just believing in, but believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Saving faith results in a changed life. Your faith doesn't change you. Your faith in Jesus Christ, he saves you, but when you get saved, he makes you a new creature. He changes you. That's what salvation is. You know, it's like, like when, Hunter, when Hunter sat down on that chair. He didn't just believe that that chair would hold him up. He was trusting in that chair to hold him up. There is a difference. Wouldn't you agree with that? You could sit over here and say, well, I believe that chair would hold me up. I believe that chair would hold me up. You might believe that intellectually. Intellectually. But when you believe when you put yourself, when you put yourself in that chair, you're trusting in that chair. Amen. You could say, I believe. I believe if I got on a plane and that plane took off, it would lift us off the ground. And you say, But I'm not going to try it. You know why? Because you don't trust it. You believe it would do it. I can't tell you how many times, how many times my wife has said to me in a plane, I just don't understand. How this plane gets off the ground, <laughs> and I don't understand it aerodynamically myself. I don't, but I, but I trust in it, right? So, look, you may be sitting here tonight, and we're talking about how to witness to people. We're talking about how to share our faith. We're talking about what the gospel is. But you may be sitting here tonight and you are right, that's right exactly where you are. You believe intellectually in Jesus. You believe what Jesus did for you. You believe that He raised from the dead. You believe He could forgive you of your sins. But you've never personally trusted in Him and put your faith and trust in Him for salvation. And tonight would be a great night to do that. But to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So when it says belief, it doesn't mean just the, you know, what did James say? The devils also believe in tremble. You believe there's one God? James said, it's in the Bible. You believe there's only one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe in tremble. Do you believe the devil's going to go to heaven? No. But he believes, he's a believer, right? He believes in God, he believes in Jesus. He, he knew, he, knew who, he recognized who Jesus was. We see it in the Gospels. He called him the Son of God. But he's lost. He's not saved. He's not lost. He's internally damned because he's a, he rebelled against God. So, saving faith is, is relying entirely on Jesus. Now, let me give you another thought about saving faith. Saving faith is not relying on any mixture of works or good deeds for your salvation. If a person says, well I, you know, I I, I believe I believe I'm going to pu- I put my faith in Jesus. I believe Jesus died f- for my sins, but I'm also counting on my baptism or I'm also counting on my church membership. That's not saving faith. Right. Saving faith is belief in Jesus without any mixture of works. Ephesians 2:8-9, you know those verses? For by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. No works. Nothing we do can help save us. It's a gift, right? The ways of sin is death, but the gift of God. It's a gift. We don't deserve it. Amen. And, if, and if a per- Listen, now if a person, we're coming back to 1 Corinthians 15. But if a person is trusting in anything other than Jesus, their faith is vain. Amen. Now notice what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, we'll come back to that, unless you believed in vain. They, had, they, they were believing, but their, their belief was empty. It's kind of like James again. Faith without works is dead. Their belief was empty. It was vain. You know why it was vain? Because they were not trusting in Jesus alone. When a person relies on anything other than just Jesus, their faith is in vain. If a person said, I'm believing in Jesus and baptism to save me, their faith is vain. It's worthless. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's not saving faith. Saving faith is trusting in Jesus entirely and only for salvation. Amen? I'm, I'm, i believe i'm believing in jesus but i'm on, i think if i live a good life that he'll save me that's not that's vain, that's believing in vain Amen. it's not saving faith and and it doesn't doesn't include it here but i think anyone who searches the scriptures would would have to admit this saving faith includes repentance Amen. you see how do you know that well because twice in luke chapter 3 Jesus said except you repent you shall all likewise perish didn't he say that so now what is repent repentance is not a work now please don't get confused on this there's been a lot of stuff written and said about and preached about repentance in the last 10 or 15 years it's incredible and as far as I can tell I've heard lots of sermons I read lots of sermons from 50 years ago 100 years ago and repentance was never an issue it just became an issue in our lifetime. Didn't it make us feel good about ourselves? Right? It's confused. It's muddy the waters. And some people say repentance is a work. That's, repentance is not a work. Repentance is an attitude of the heart. Amen. It's it's the word. I think it's metanoia. It means a change of mind. You change your the change the way you're thinking. You know, nobody had to nobody had to lecture me on repentance when I got saved. But I had a repentant heart. You know why? Because I was putting my faith in Jesus. I wanted him to save me. I knew I was a sinner. I wanted him to change my life. I, I, that, was, I, that was repentant. Nobody had explained repentance. It was in my heart. I believe those two things are, are present at the same time when a person gets saved. Their, repentance is to change your mind or turn. It doesn't mean you're promising to do good works. It means you're turning from yourself to Jesus. You're turning your sin to Jesus. You're turning to Jesus. You can't turn to something without turning from something, right? It's not complicated. And and Paul made it very clear that he, as he went about preaching, this was his message: repentance to God and faith in Jesus Christ. He said to the churches, the churches and. Uh, Church in Thessalonica, as he was talking to them in his epistle to the Thessalonican believers there, that congregation, you've turned from idols to trust in the living God. And so it's not something you have to figure out or explain. You don't need to, you know, you don't have to deep into the dig into the etymology of the word to understand repentance. No, it just means you're coming to God with a heart that wants to be saved. You're turning to God. You're turning from your sin, and you're putting your faith in Jesus and Him only. 1 Corinthians 15, where we are, we see what saving faith produces. It it produces a changed life. It also produces what I'll call continuance or security. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, 2. He says, by which also you are saved. You are saved. Not you're going to be saved. You are saved. By which you are saved. And then notice this phrase that gives some people trouble. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now on the surface you could say, does that mean I have to remember everything he said to me? If you keep in memory what I have preached unto you unless you believed in vain. No, it, what it, if you keep in memory does not mean you're going to be saved if you continue to remember and believe. It just means if you have really believed, you are going to Continue. And that's why he says, just read it Read it in verse 2, by which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you've believed in vain. If a person's faith is not genuine, if their faith is including works, if their faith is including baptism, if their faith is including their, their ability to hold out, if your, fa- if your faith is like that, your faith is vain. And if your faith is vain then you're not it's not going to last. You know, I'm I'm going I may bring this out Sunday since we're talking about our anniversary Sunday. But I am amazed at the number of people in recent years and really in recent days who have re, who are who have well-known spiritual leaders um Believe, leaders among the believers' community who are now renouncing their faith. They don't believe in it. They're not just saying, I'm backslidden. They're saying, I don't believe anymore. And you know why they don't believe anymore? Because they never believed to begin with. Amen. Because if you really believed, it sticks. It sticks. Amen. Yeah. Uh, it sticks. You don't, you, I didn't do anything on my own to make myself a Christian. I just believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't do anything to keep myself a Christian. He's the one that saves us. He's the one that keeps us. And what this verse is teaching is, if you turn away, if you fail to believe, if you don't continue, what it means is your faith was in vain to begin with. Now you say, well, explain that how people... I can't explain that. I just read about another one a few days ago. National, an internationally known person in, this, in, this, in the spiritual world who, who come out and said, I just don't believe anymore. The guy, the, last week, it was this guy, I can't think, Josh, what was his name? That, that wrote the book, um, what was it? Yeah, Josh Harris. Uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Y'all ever heard of that book, I kiss Dating Goodbye? Probably sold a million copies. He don't even believe anymore. He don't even believe anymore. You know, what? I I said I wasn't going to talk about this, so I'm going to to stop. But the Bible says more than once that one of the great indicators that we're living in the last day is a, a falling. It'll be a great falling away, a turning away from the faith. And we're seeing that. We're seeing it in many places, many different groups. But you know what it tells you? You know what it tells me? They never. You can't turn away from true faith. If you turn away, you never had it. Amen. Right? So that's what that verse is teaching. Saving faith produces continuance and, and security. Now, the gospel is powerful. Right? It is powerful. Uh... Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That message is powerful. People need to hear it. When when Jesus gave these numerous parables about the, the good seed being planted in the ground, you know what that good seed is? It's the gospel it's the it's the pure gospel now the devil, if you read about the weed and the tares, the devil he spreads a false gospel, a false message but jesus the the good seed is the gospel, and it brings forth fruit, it produces changed lives the false gospels, and there are many many false gospels, many i mean I'm not going to take the time to try to prove this to you tonight, and maybe someone here needs, needs to hear more about it. But if you, were to, if you were to just take up here tonight and we were to just put up on the screen the basic core beliefs of what it takes to be saved by mainline denominations, Nazarenes, Methodists, Church of Christ, Pentecostals. All these different groups. We're just going to put up here. What they say it takes to be saved or to keep yourself saved. You know what you'd find out about all those I just mentioned? All their gospels is different than the gospel we're talking about tonight. Right. All of them. Right. They either believe you're saved by your good works. You're kept saved by your good works. So, so just because a person has believed in Jesus doesn't mean they, they've heard the good seed. Gospel, and by the way, I think I'll just wrap it up with this. In Galatians chapter one, where Paul talks about, if any man bring any other gospel unto you, than the gospel which I have given unto you, let him be accursed. You know what? You know what a false gospel is. It is a cursed gospel. You know why? Because it makes people believe they're okay when what they're believing is not the true gospel. And they are really worse off than if they'd never heard anything than to hear that somehow they're saved because they got baptized or they're saved because they joined a certain church or they're saved because they went through the catechism. You know what that is? That's a cursed gospel. Amen. That's, that's serious, isn't it? Very serious. So the gospel is not... When Paul says, I'm going to tell you what the gospel is. See if you find anything there about baptism or joining the church or good deeds or good works. It's not in there. I'm going to declare unto you the gospel that I declared unto you when I was there in the beginning, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that He was buried and that He raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. Amen? Amen? That's the gospel. Amen? Amen?